Reunion Church, good morning. Great to be with you. I'm assuming it's morning. It is for most of you here on the East Coast on this Sunday morning here in February, the glorious month of February in the North East. And um, I'm Rashad Clemens, as you've heard. I pastor a church called Reality Boston, and we are just thrilled to serve alongside you all here in our city. And we believe that God is just using this season to bring his church together. And I think there's a beauty in us working and partnering together to see his kingdom come to Boston, Massachusetts, New England, as it is in heaven. And I believe that God is advancing his mission right now in our midst. And so um, I'm glad to be here and I have the privilege to teach God's word with you. And um, today we're going to talk about a topic that um, for some of you, this it may be very uh, uncomfortable. And I just want to say that's okay. Um, because discomfort is one of the ways in which we are transformed. Becoming a disciple of Jesus, a lot of ways is, is discomfort comforting because God challenges us and pushes us into ways of thinking and being that we are not naturally inclined to lean into. So I invite you to lean into this. You may have heard the title and see it introduced last week and you're like, man, I'm going to check out this month. I'm asking you to check in. And some of you may be flat out like, I'm so here for this conversation. I've been waiting all 15 years in my time of reunion for this conversation, for this exact moment. And I want to say that's great. And I, and I know it's tempting to go, I can't wait for this person to hear this message. And I want to give you a little caution to pause and go, maybe there's something in here that needs to be, that I need to hear that's going to challenge me today. And so I invite you, though if though you're excited to say, God, is there something that you want to say to me and challenge me in this moment? And then I think there's another group of us that we're just like, I'm just flat out tired of hearing about this conversation around race because this topic pops up on every outlet and medium that I use in my life. And the one area that I try to go to, to pull away from all the issues of the world, here it comes confronting me. And I just want to say, check in, be present, ask God what he wants to say to you. Because unless you've been in seclusion without TV or internet, there's no way to escape, especially here in America, this topic and conversation on race. It's a very polarizing experience if you've ever entered this conversation. We have very polarizing perspectives in our world, in our cities, in our institutions, in our cultures, around our tables. And today we're going to talk about all of them. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just kidding. This is, there's no way that I could preach one sermon to, to encompass everything that needs to be said about race. But I think there is something to be said about race in our time together. And there's some scriptures that we're going to look at to talk about it. And I just, and I want to preface that this is not a, a new or modern conversation. That this has been going on since the beginning of recorded human history. And there's, there's an argument in our world when we talk about race. Um, it says, one spectrum says, why are you making such a big deal about race? 
And then we have the other side that says, why can't you see that race is a big deal? And those are the two questions that we're going to address today. And see, for some of us, we've never had to really grapple with the implication of our country's racial history or even our own stories or cultures or backgrounds because for the most part, our lives and our position of cultures have afforded us to live in a way that we've been able to thrive and make it and not have to worry about how race and our cultures impact our lives because it doesn't really impact our lives in a way that keeps us from making it. And there's some of us who from the moment we realized that we were a different color from other people or that we had a different background, that we've had to think about how our color, our ethnicity, our race has affects every door that we walk in, every space that we inhabit, and every ambition that we have in our lives. We are in, in, an, in an important moment here in our history. We're an important moment here in the history of our church. And what, and what has happened with the pandemic and being sheltered in place, some of us have been forced to, to watch and to listen to the cries and the objections of people of color in the world that are saying, we've been treated unjustly. Our skin color has pushed us into the margins, into the bottom of society, and you're not listening. We need you to listen. And for some of us, for the first time, we've heard it. We've been forced to listen to it, that our worlds have collided with the worlds of the people of color that have been crying out, something's wrong, something's broken. And it's caused the whole world right now to pay attention to this. And so I think it's important as followers of Jesus to have kingdom perspective and conviction on the topic of justice, reconciliation, and race. And so the text that, that we'll look at, I want to start in the beginning. I want to start in Genesis, where God formed human beings and breathed his life into them. And sometimes, I just want to preface this, when we get into a familiar passage, like if you've been around church for a while, um, like Genesis, that um, we can overlook um, the implications of creation and the nuance of how and why God created us. Um, because I think if we, if we miss this, that, that our course towards reconciliation, justice, and racism is a few degrees off course. And so I'm going to start in Genesis 1.27. It says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God made humans in his image. All of us. Every hue, every hair type, every height, every language. God created all humans in his image. Full stop. This is, this is important. This is an important foundation for this whole conversation. God created us in his image. Here's what one commentator says about images. The image of God is an important theological concept, both in the Old and New Testaments, with roots that extend back into the ancient Near Eastern thought. 
In the ancient world, an image was believed in some ways to carry the essence of that which it represented. It's the God who created the universe, who created galaxy, who holds the cosmos together, creates us in his image to display to the world, his image to the world through us. We are God's original NFTs, but way better. And I don't even completely understand what an NFT is, but you get what I'm saying. We are his image. We are made in his image to this world. We are image bearers. In, in Genesis 2-7, in a different translation, the word should be on the screen. It says this about the creation account. And the Lord Jehovah, God, formed Adam of the dust from the soil and breathed into his face the breath of life. And Adam was a living soul. I, lo I love the wording here. He breathed into his face. God looked into the face of his creation, face to face with his creation, and he saw the future mosaic of culture, hair color, skin color, skill sets, language, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, and it says that God was pleased. Genesis 1.31, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. We are marvelously and beautifully and wonderfully made. It says, the psalmist says that God knit us in our mother's womb, that God knows us by name, and that he made us to reflect his beauty and his creativity, to burst forth into the world, and to burst forth his shalom into the world through us, because we are image bearers of God, all of us. We are made in God's image. That means the person next to you. Don't look at them. That means you're not look at them. They're made in the image of God. The, they're, they're, your neighbor is made in the image of God. That news pundit is made in the image of God. The immigrant is made in the image of God. Middle Eastern people made in the image of God. That young black man gunned down made in the image of God. So David Dark, author, says about this. Like the God in whose image people are made, people are irreducible. There's always more to a person, more stories, more life, more complexities than we know. The human person, when viewed properly, is unfathomable, incalculable, and dear. Perversion always says otherwise. Listen, there's always more to that person. They're not a statistic. They're not just some other people group. They're people made in the image of God, and there's more to them. But how our society uses race is to elevate and minimize a person's worth. And, but God looks at the diversity of humanity, and he sees infinite worth, infinite value. God said it was good. 
That means we and our diversity is how he intended. So you don't know this about me. I'm a parent of five. I have five great, great children. And I, and with that, I have intentions and desires for their lives. Um, I care about how they treat each other, how they interact, what it means to be um, part of this family. What you realize quickly with siblings, with kids, is that they are not a monolith, that they are different. They have different experiences, that they're wired differently. I have twins, and, and the older they get, the more we realize that they are not the same, that they are different. They're, they're similar, kind of, but they're different. They're, they have different emotions. They, they process their histories different. And that they are, they have different desires for their future. And one thing that I tell them that they cannot shake, even though they have differences, is that they have the DNA of our ancestors, that they have the DNA of me. And what unifies them is that I'm their father. And that because I'm their father, that they are family. And as we all have different histories, we have different cultures, experiences, tastes, gifts, languages that are meant to point to the glory of our father. If we forget or lose sight that we are all God's children, that's where division and disharmony creates fruit. And that fruit is often hatred, jealousy, and injustice. Though we are different, we are family. It means we are meant for one another. But if we don't recognize the diversity in God's kingdom, we miss the beauty of God around us. The, the God has placed himself, his image, and the people around us uniquely formed in the brothers and sisters all around the world. But if we don't see the image of God and then we miss the image of God. Here's a comment I hear often from, I think, well, often well-intended and often white folks say this about this topic of race. I don't see race. Or they'll say, I don't see color. And I think on one hand, what, what they mean is to say is like, I'm not a racist because I don't see race. Right? So like, uh, you know, think about it. I, if I don't see race, I can't be racist. Um, I'm slightly joking. Or they'll say like, race is a construct. Therefore, I'm not acknowledging that construct. And I just want to say this, even if you believe that race is a construct, it doesn't negate the fact that racism has an active role in our society. For some of us, when we hear, especially people of color, we hear these phrases, I don't see race or I don't see color, it often feels like a scapegoat to get out of wrestling with the, um, the history of our cultures. It also feels like a way to bypass your own current biases and blind spots in how you see and interact with others. Secondly, especially for people of color, when we hear these phrases, I don't see race or I'm not, I'm not a racist, um, there is no racism. It, it feels like a trope for excusing, ignoring, devaluing a person's culture and experience historically. 
it's often people who, who don't experience racism that say there is no racism without consulting with the people who say they experience racism. There was a video shot in, around Boston that asking people, is there racism in Boston? Most white folks go, I don't think so. I, I don't experience it. My life's just fine. And so there's this conversation can't happen on its own. When we talk about race, you actually have to have that conversation with other people with the posture of listening. And first, and then secondly, or thirdly, first, I don't, I don't, I won't speak for others, but for me, we hear when I hear the comment, I don't see color, I want you to see me. I want you to see me. I want you to know that I am a black. American with Jamaican ancestry. It is a history of struggle, exile, migration, celebration, liberation, and triumph. And I am made in the image of God. I want you to know that. I want you to see that. And when we fail to see the image of God in others, we fail to see our brothers and sisters, and we fail to see God. Later in Genesis, in chapter 4, Cain, son of Adam and Eve, kills his brother Abel. And God says in verse 9, where is your brother Abel? I think it's an important distinction that God uses that word brother. He doesn't just say, where is Abel? God points out to Cain, there's been an injustice, there's been blood spilled. And he reminds him that that was his brother. Because Cain lost sight of Abel's image about Abel's relationship to him when he felt threatened. What happens often when we feel threatened when something is pushed against us that we don't like? We oftentimes reject it, discount it, respond negatively back towards it. Many of us are taught from a very early age how to minimize and reduce the image of God in others who act differently than us, who look differently than us, who value things differently than us. And see, for most of us that are followers of Jesus, we would, we would all agree theologically that God has made everyone in his image, but we need God as part of our discipleship to reveal to us the areas that we're missing or minimizing his image in others. See, seeing the image of God in others is imperative for us to demonstrate the love of God to the world. We can't share the love and demonstrate and put on the love of God for people around us if we don't believe that they are made in God's image. It's also a measuring rod for our own relationship with God. Look at 1 John 4, 20. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So the question is, do you see others around you? Like really see them the way that Jesus does. I think for many of us who come to church, we want to see God. That God show yourself, God reveal yourself. And I believe that God is seeing my image and presence is formed in the people around you. Jesus, and we need eyes to see. 
But Jesus was, Jesus was saying the religious leaders often take, take the log out of your eyes. In other words, have an honest assessment of how you see yourselves and others. Then you'll get God. Go through the Gospels and the New Testament letters to the early church. And you, you can't escape the conversation. You can't escape the places where God is intentional about talking about race and culture and ethnicity and why it matters. Scriptures are very intentional in the wording that it uses. Why? Because they matter. They, they matter. They matter. And that's why God points them out, because it's pointing to the kingdom that's coming. So Jesus, in the Gospels, he, he goes to a well. He goes to a well that the Samaritans go to, and he meets a Samaritan woman. And it's very the Gospels are very intentional to point out that she's Samaritan. One, it's a woman, a rabbi interacting with a woman, a Jewish rabbi interacting with a Samaritan woman. Samaritans were despised by Jews because they were considered half-breeds, not pure Jewish genealogy and so they were treated differently they were marginalized gospels point that out in acts 6 we see hellenistic jews which were they were widows they were being overlooked versus the hebraic widows who were jews and their solution was systematic change of food distribution equity between these two ethnic groups you look more through the book of Acts in the early letters, you see these group called God-fearers and Gentiles, non-Jewish people being added to the church, constantly under scrutiny and attacked, and they, and they were given more and more heaped on requirements to become accepted and things that God was not even asking them for. I'm just pointing out that scripture is consistent on pointing out the different groups and ethnicities and how that often divides or excludes them from sonship or daughtership. And it's very clear that even Jesus had a bio. He had a tribe, he had a town, he had a culture. He was born into a hostile world that even treated him differently. What town are you from? Look who you hang out with. And here's the beauty of the gospel that turns our world upside down. In God's kingdom, our differences no longer divide us. It was never the intention. Our differences, our different hues and colors and heights and languages were all meant to point to the goodness and the glory of our Father. Book of Ephesians, verses 11 through 13, and there's so much more that I'm not able to get into, point to the continued work that God wants to do in us. Verse 11 says, Therefore remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth, and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who once were far away have been brought near. 
Now, if you've been in church long enough or for a while, you're familiar with Ephesians 2. And for the most part, the beginning part of Ephesians, where it talks about that you're saved by grace through faith. It's not nothing you've done. It's the work of God. You are his craftsmanship. Like you are meant for good works. And that is a great place to amen that God has saved us, that he's called us, that our names are written in his book, and that we can have a relationship with him. But we're not only saved, but we are being saved. That means that God is still working on us and in us. Rich Velode is a pastor and author in New York, says this, the gospel must not only offer a personal salvation in the future life to those who believe, it must also transform all of the relationships of life here and now and thus cause the kingdom of God to prevail in all the world. So when Paul uses the word therefore, he's building upon our salvation of being saved. And he said, you're, and God is also saving you. And he says, therefore, he says, in light of God saving you, the vertical work of the cross, there's a horizontal work of the cross that's happening here. And that means that God is reconciling you with himself and with others. People that are different from you, people from the uncircumcision that has, that's been divided. He says that, Formerly you, Gentiles of the flesh or Gentiles in birth, it literally means nations or ethnos, where we get the word ethnic. And it's referring to anyone born outside of the line of Jacob. And, it, and this term was used in a derogatory term to non-Jewish folks. There's like deep-seated differences that created superiority for the Jewish community and hostility for many of the Gentiles. And what the gospel wants to communicate to us is that no longer can anyone claim superiority because of their race, class, or social standings. See, Paul is not ignoring racial or cultural differences. He's just leveling the playing field. And this commentator sums this passage up really well. Listen, Paul describes the essential oneness of God's people. Race and culture separate people in the natural world. In Christ, the walls of separation are torn down. This is the way of peace. Enmity is replaced with harmony in the fellowship of believers. Paul makes a powerful appeal to the Gentile readers in Christ they are no longer aliens and strangers to God's promises. As believers, they are a part of the household of God. In the church, there is equality of rights and privileges. Old animosities are to be left behind. These new, rela new relationships fitly framed together make a worthy temple for the glory of God. Listen. Church, if we can't make a difference in strides in areas of race and reconciliation, if it's worse in the church, if it's worse with Christians, how can we be the salt of the earth? How can we be the salt of the earth if we can't get along and tear down the walls between those who we can see with our own eyes? We can't be the salt of the earth if we're salty with one another. N.T. Wright 
says this. The point of it all, as he says in verse 15, talking about Paul, was to create a single new humanity in place of the two. Today's church may no longer face the question of the integration of Jew and Gentile into a single family, though there are places where that is still a major issue. But we face quite urgently the question which Paul would insist on as a majority, as a major priority. If our churches are still divided in any way along racial or cultural lines, he would say that our gospel, our very grasp of the meaning of Jesus' death, is called into question. How long will it be before those who claim to follow Jesus, not least those who claim also to love Paul's thinking, come to terms with the demands he actually makes? Church, the dividing wall has been torn down. We are all made in the image of God. Jesus laid down his life for the world. For every neighborhood, village, town, country, black, Latin, Asian, white. He laid down his life for us all. We are our brothers and sisters keeper. Why? Because we are family. And there's nothing more compelling that moves the heart of God than for us to dwell in unity. It's like the oil that flowed down from Aaron's beard. See, I didn't want to do this sermon and give you information on race give you some facts about race, but point you to a vision uh, and an arc of what the kingdom of God is headed. Listen, I want you to read the scriptures. I want you to see your brothers and sisters as your brothers and sisters, and that this pursuit is more compelling and worthy than any other worldly pursuit because this is pointing and directing us towards the kingdom of God. Our last passage comes in Revelation chapter 7 verses 9 through 10 say this, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. John gets a revelation. He gets a sneak peek into heaven's throne room and what's to come. And what does he see there? All nation, every nation, ethnos, ethnic, tribes, every tribe, language, tongue, culture, together being swept up into God's kingdom. And this picture is what God wants to start now with us. Lisa Sharon Harper, author of The Very Good Gospel, says this, 
Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is one of the most segregated hours, if not the most segregated hour in Christian America. Perhaps churches have committed themselves to building and maintaining towers of Babel. Towers of Babel require efficiency, uniformity, a single language, and a dominant culture. They are enemies of the image of God on earth. Yet the church continues to study the Tower of Babel user manual so it can build bigger, brighter, more efficient monuments. I believe that the call of God to the church in these days is to dismantle Babel. Return to worshiping communities rooted in place where power is shared. In such places, the image of God and the capacity to exercise dominion in all cultures and languages are affirmed and cultivated. Church, that is the vision. God wants to build something with us, but we have to lay down our rights. We have to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. God wants to create a unified place where his spirit and his glory dwells. And that happens when we see our brothers and sisters as our brothers and sisters, as those made in the image of God and where the love of God is bursting forth out of our hearts for one another. Listen, we may have different tribes and cultures and backgrounds and languages and idioms and histories together with all our differences, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, we will all kneel before Jesus and declare him king. And so that has to start now. They together here in John, I mean, in, in Revelation 7, they say salvation belongs to our God. They, they're saying that you are the saving one. You are all powerful. Nothing else has the power to save. Who sits on the throne? Not my ideologies, not my politics, not the image that I put on God. And they say, and to the Lamb, reconciliation and redemption has a cost. The Lamb has conquered through death to tear down our walls between us and God and us and one another so that we can really worship. And it's the kind of worship that brings God glory. And this is the kind of worship that's happening here that gets the attention of heaven. They got the amen section in heaven, amening and on their knees. Look at verse 11 here in Revelation 7. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever. And ever. Amen. They are seeing the beautiful mosaic of God's kingdom on display and it moves them. It moves them to see this mosaic of God's kingdom on display, singing the same song, saying the same words, declaring the same Messiah, but just in different accents and languages. 
The redemption of God happening in the earth is the vision in the ark of the kingdom. Listen, if we can't worship here with those that are different from us, from those who watch a different news network, those who have a different ideology, we have to ask the question, what kingdom are we pointing towards? What kingdom are we putting on display? Because God has made us all in his image. So when we talk about race, we are pointing to the Imago Dei that is in all humans. It's a call to see human beings as family, to see us as brothers and sisters and cousins and biological relationship. And when we see others like that, we respond to things that happen in the world, things that happen with us on our commute with dignity with compassion, with understanding. We are no longer unaffected and indifferent to the plight of people in the world. Their problems, their injustice, their joy, their triumphs are ours as well. When you see your brothers and sisters, when you really see them the way Jesus does and you take steps towards them, that is a preview of what's to come, that the world is watching, that God is watching, that the angels are watching, that the elders are watching. And as we begin to tear down the walls between us and link arms and declare Jesus is Lord, it brings Christ glory in a divided, hostile world. And that is our act of worship. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you are king of all the earth. Let your kingdom come, that your will be done in us as it is in heaven. Continue to tear down our walls and you get glory from your church, God, as we engage to see one another as you see us. And God, let us be a reconciled movement that declares your Lordship, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So great being with you all. Have a blessed week.